We care about our land more than somebody down in Ottawa. A land code puts the First Nation into the power of government. The biggest point for me is your ability to protect your reserves lands. Former chief of our community had the vision to sign uh, and the guts to sign that framework agreement. Business at the pace of business. I think it just proves that First Nations lands management really is working. The good thing about land code, we don't have to sell it. It sells itself. And joining me now from Shawnee First Nation in Ontario is band manager Adam Good. Adam, great to have you on the Land Decolonized podcast. Welcome. Perfect. Thank you so much, Richard. We've heard some good things uh, from our Resource Centre friends about your community and uh, your experience with Land Code. Maybe to start, though, maybe put the community on a map for us. Where are you located in this great land of ours? Yeah, no, thank you for that. We're uh, located on the eastern shores of Georgian Bay. Uh, which is about two and a half hours north of Toronto in Ontario. Uh, Shawanaga is made up of uh, three parcels, three reserves, um, which is the main one, Shawanaga First Nation. Uh, we have our Shawanaga Landing, which is right on Georgian Bay, uh, and then Nesku Tang, um, which is our, thir- our third parcel, um, which is, uh, I guess, roughly, there's about just shy of 11,000 acres that we have. So, uh, yeah, that's kind of, I guess, Shawanaga in a nutshell. And I don't know if you want me to walk us through the traditional territory, because that's always important as well. Yeah, sure. It's pretty broad territory, so, isn't it? It is. It is. So with Swanigas traditional territory, um, it borders the Magnetowan River to the north um, and then to the Seguin River to the south. And that extends onto the Georgian Bay. And that includes the 30,000 islands. And then east to the height of the land to the Ottawa Valley. So we have quite a, a broad range for our traditional territory. And you're part of the Anishinaabeg Nation. I think there are, what, 20 or 21 different nations yeah, so, within that confederacy? So actually, Shawanaga is not part of that. Uh, we're, uh, I have okay. been, we're an independent First Nation. Oh, I see. Okay. What about your population base uh, and the split between on-reserve, off-reserve? Yeah, so, you know, I think as of uh, the weekend, we have seven, 709 members. So we have a new one that was born just on the weekend. Uh, and off-reserve, uh, there's off uh, two-thirds there's, living uh, off-reserve. It's important to track those new ones coming in. That's awesome. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Is that a family member or a friend? No, it's just, yeah, a friend, we'll say. So the land code experience goes back to, I think, 2012, 2013 or so. What was your role back then? Yeah, actually, my role back then, um, I was the consultation slash project manager um, when we really started looking into the land code. This was going back to 2008, 2009, when we started really digging into this. Uh, I was hired to do a consultation policy, but, you know, through my research and everything that I was uh, going through, I seen how important the land code was as well. Um, So that's kind of where I guess this started the uh, initiation for Shawanaga anyways towards land code was back in uh, 2009. Was there much of an appetite among uh, the elected leadership at the time, chief and council? Yeah, no, I, I think there was, you know, I think there was, uh, for us, it was fairly new. It was, uh, you know, there was a lot of misunderstanding, I think, back then as well, of what I was trying to introduce and bring to the table. Um, the appetite was there, um, but they were still very new. So I think there was a lot of, you know, at the, it was the early stages for that, that leadership at the time. So how did you counter some of the maybe misconceptions or myths that were out there about Land Code? Yeah, j- just... You know, basic education, you know, I reached out to the, the Lab RC, um, the resource center that was there, um, the people that were in place, and we had them, you know, introduce a lot of the, uh, the prior, you know, the, the, the opportunities that the land code could bring. Um, I, I think one of the biggest things I was looking at to 
will bring that education and awareness to the chief and council of the day was uh, examples of the communities that were already part of the land code. So that was uh, one of the bigger pushes, just kind of uh, looking at our peers and what they were doing, you know, with that economic spin on the on the projects that they're doing. So, was there a particular problem or issue at the time that you thought the land code might address? Um, yeah, no, definitely there was. So I think, you know, what I was mentioning with the consultation policy, we were actually in, uh, engaged and still are with uh, the Ministry of Transportation for uh, a twinning of uh, our highway, one of the highways that goes right through the First Nation, which is Highway 69. Um, so one of the things we looked at and, you know, through negotiations, we had this fear of expropriation uh, of the time when we were still sitting with uh, INAC uh, under their uh, Indian Act. So one of the things we did is we seen under the land code, there was no more, uh, there was no more, I guess, ability for the ministry to expropriate. So that was one of the things I think that really drove Shawanaga towards one of them, one of many anyways, I should say, that drove Shawanaga towards, you know, leaning towards land management is to prevent, you know, land expropriation, as well as the, the First Nation shrinking. So that was a big thing for us too. We didn't want the First Nation getting any smaller. If anything, we wanted to get larger, right? And have you been able to land, add to that land base? Um, so I would have to say not at this time. Uh, there are some negotiations that we're doing. Uh, I'm sworn through an NDA. I can't say too much at this time. Sure. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that, you know, we anticipate uh, adding to that land base. I would say, you know, within the near future, we're, we're, we're anticipating. And that will be some big news when that comes out, I, I, I imagine. Some communities have done that through uh, maybe part of a treaty or reconciliation negotiations, others additions to reserve, uh, yeah. and some other processes. And again, I respect the, the need for you know, privacy around the uh, what you're doing exactly. But uh, have you been involved in the ATR process at all in the past? Uh, not in the past. Um, so the ATR process is one of the ones that we're looking at. Um, I'm very familiar with it, but myself, firsthand experience, I haven't yet. Um, so I'm anticipating that to be coming soon, and I'm excited for that, you know, because anything that you can give back to the communities is just, uh, you know, it's amazing. Okay, let's say hypothetically down the road, you've added to your land base. Why go that route, and what do you hope to accomplish with that extra land? Well, you know, I think with the land selection process um, that we're going through, the, the, the major part to that is, you know, seeing what kind of economic spin we can get off of that land. Um, but at the same time, finding the balance between um, land that we can hunt and harvest from. Um, so we're doing a very rigorous, we'll say, land selection to make sure that we're getting a balance of economic development, uh, residential conservation areas, as well as hunting um, lands that we can use for the community. It's, it's, it's a hard process. You know, it's, it's easy to point at a map and say, here, this is what we want and this is what we're going to go through. But uh, to figure out when you dial down the different layers of what's there through easements, leases, right-of-ways, titles, it's quite a checkerboard once you get through all the layers. Talking about business interests, are there any band-owned businesses now that are generating own source revenues? Oh, yeah. No, for sure there is. We have, um, I'll just, one right now is one of our convenience stores, which is situated along um, Highway 69. It's a little store. Uh, you know, it's uh, two two pumps, but it does good right now. Uh, one of the big things that we're pushing for uh, is expanding. So we do have a highway service center being built as we speak um, along Highway 69. And this highway service center ultimately will 
Well, I, I guess I should back up a little bit on that one there, Richard, with um, the Highway Service Centre. We're, we're aiming to do originally like an on-route um, on the First Nation. Um, we were told that we couldn't do an on-route. So we said, okay, well, well, we can't do an on-route. We're going to do an on-res. <laughs> so that's kind of where we lean towards. Um, so exactly what we're doing is an on-route feel um, right on the First Nation along Highway 69. Um, and with that, there'll be various franchises, uh, and we're going to be doing a soft opening uh, mid-July is what we're anticipating. There were some delays with COVID and everything else, um, but it's coming together. Um, I just was there this morning, and they're just leveling the, uh, the grounds and hopefully to be open mid-July. And it, it's going to be a lot bigger, you know, convenience store, gift store. Um, we have two franchises. Our, our, our cannabis store will be in there as well. So it's, uh, it's exciting. So presumably that'll really boost your local em employment for community members. Oh, for sure. For sure it would. Yeah. Is there any new residential development being contemplated as, as part of the future? Yep. No, we uh, just recently built, uh, I think it was seven homes last year. Um, this year we actually have three being built as we speak. Um, for our community, that's pretty large because we are a smaller community. Um, I know the new chief and council, they definitely have uh, an appetite to do a lot more building this year for homes. Um, the need is high for our community. Uh, we have quite the list and we recognize that and that's going to be a big push uh, to get more homes. So that that's definitely uh, something we're going to be looking for. With that anticipated growth, Adam, I'm sure you, you love to involve the community in, in forward thinking and strategic planning. How do you make that happen? Well, you know, pre-COVID, that was a lot easier, you know, than it is now, you know. Uh, so we had to get really uh, creative. Um, you know, we're trying to survey monkeys, uh, Zoom meetings. Uh, right now, we're going to be looking into uh, outside meetings with more of a, a drive-in screen. Um, that's something, you know, I haven't even brought to the community yet. It's something fairly new. Um, so that's something we're going to try to do and, you know, have it look at our powwow grounds or our baseball field. And there's a big, uh, drive-in screen that we're going to be, uh, purchasing and then have our presentations there in person. So you'll see us, but it'll be more of a concert feel, I should say. Yeah. What a great idea. Have you seen anybody else doing that? Not, not, not like that yet. Um, we did it last year. We had a uh, drive-in in our community. Um, that was a good success and, you know, kind of snowballed from there saying, oh, hey, we could use this, you know, where, Maybe we do a quick uh, engagement with the community, whatever the topics may be. And then afterwards, you know, they get to watch uh, a scary movie or something, you know, so that's, uh, Pop, that's popcorn uh, included. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. The uh, resource center has been very proud of the whole organization about the 25th anniversary of the framework agreement. And this uh, has really grown from those original, you know, 12, 13 or 14 land code communities up to now 101 and counting. I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on that growth and what you've seen during your time with land code development. No, that's a, that's a great question. Um, you know, what, what I've seen, I guess you could say with the development, I'm, I'm seeing the awareness, you know, from the other communities, uh, seeing the opportunities that it's giving the communities that do have land code, uh, where we can move at the speed of business now when it comes to certain things. Um, which is a huge, huge positive for us. Um, and we're experiencing that firsthand, right? So that's something that is real. Um, so I do see that. Uh, I do see First Nations, other communities 
jumping on board, um, building the capacity to be able to become more uh, independent um, and step away from the Indian Act, I think is uh, a priority for a lot of communities. I know for Shawanaga, that was a big one for us um, because as I mentioned earlier, we are part of the independent First Nation and that's something that you know we're, we wanna strive on. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's a huge achievement if that's how many communities are, are with Land Code now. We get so busy, I lose track. I hear the I hear the number once in a while, but you know, I lose track. But uh, yeah, no, it's it's great to see, and uh, you know, I just hope it gets bigger and bigger. You know, with more uh, communities jumping on board. Yeah, I just had a sneak peek last night at the uh, Lands Advisor Spring Newsletter, and so they go into great detail about the uh, the new numbers and the anniversary and uh, passing that 100 mark. So I'm sure that'll make the rounds very soon. It is online. No, that's no, that's great. That's great to hear. Uh, has Landcode helped you at all uh, establish better relationships with nearby municipalities, uh, potential business partners? Yeah, no, I think it has for sure. Um, I know for you know local municipalities or business partners, it's fairly new. It's fairly new. Um, what I still find is business partners, business partners or municipalities are still leaning towards the Indian Act. Um, and then you got to refresh their memory, like, no, 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 you know, we don't, we don't deal with the Indian Act anymore. You know, if you're going to deal with Shawnee, you deal directly with Shawnee, not, uh, not with INAC or Canada. And, and I think that's a huge plus. And I find, you know, when we do meet with uh, those business partners, it's like a huge breath of relief. You know, they don't want to deal with Canada either. And we're like, okay, well, you're dealing with uh, the landlords right now, right? When you're sitting at our table. So I think that's a huge benefit. Probably takes some getting used to, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because everybody's used to going to First Nation and then having INAC or ISC, I think they're called now, um, in, you know, Indigenous Services Canada at the table, and we don't need that anymore. So Some communities explore the land code option because they're really concerned about environmental protection and preserving cultural or heritage aspects of their community. Is that Has that been beneficial to you? Oh, it's, for sure it has. Um, we have an actually a great species at risk program. Um, I think our neighbors have a, a great program as well, uh, Magnetowan. But uh, we have a very similar program as Magnetowan, where we do have a species at risk program. We have biologists on staff. Um, we can write our own um, species at risk permits. Uh, I think right now Steve Kale is my biologist. That uh, he's collecting turtles. Um, eggs i guess ones that have been disturbed he's taking those to his little hatchery he has a little hatchery where he's hatching a bunch of uh, snapping turtles and blanding turtles right now as we speak and uh, you know i think it just helped us push that program so much further you know having to be able to have the ability to do that i guess so fantastic i'm guessing that you've spoken with band managers or elected officials from other communities who maybe haven't gone the land code route and and maybe they have questions for you is that is that the case yeah, no, I've, I've experienced that over the years um, and, you know, other other communities, when they do talk to me, there's always a fear. Um, one of the fears that gets brought to me is uh, uh, they have this belief, I guess it is, where the land code is making a First Nation into more of a municipality. And I said, well, you know, I, I don't know where that comes from. Uh, I guess I could see why they think that. Um, I said, it can only go to a municipality after you get the land code if that's the direction that the community and the leadership point it. Um, you know, once it's once you're in land code, it's your own ball. You shape it how you want. You know, so it's it's what you make of it. You know, and and I don't know if that really helps them. I, I hope it does because if they don't want their community to be like a municipality, then they don't. You know, that's the beauty of being in the land code. It's your own. It's your own. It's your own to make what what you want of it. 
customize it as it best fits your own community. Exactly, yeah. yeah. I was doing a little reading on your website about the uh, Robinson Huron Treaty annuities case. I don't know if I'm pushing us off, off topic here, but is that somehow involved in your overall future planning? Um, you know, maybe give us, a, give us a snapshot of what that is, first of all. Well, yeah, the uh, the annuities, that, that's, a, that's a big one. Um, that's a big one. I know the Chiefs are more sitting on the working group for that one. Um, but that is a big one. I know where we put in the claim, the communities in Robinson-Huron Treaty put in the claim of 1850. Um, the argument, I guess, in a nutshell, is uh, the annuities haven't rise with the times where we're still sitting at four dollars uh you know four dollars a member per year where you see ontario government um just you know reaping the, the wealth off of the communities and the the, the traditional territories and the, the areas right so i guess that's the argument is you know everybody around us is getting rich but the communities haven't had their annuities lifted and that could be anywhere from hunting fishing um you know everything just taxes within the, the area um so I guess that's kind of in a nutshell. There's a lot more to it. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. Um, and that's where the claim is right now. And I know Ontario is trying to do uh, an appeal on that. Uh, I, I don't think they'll be successful. And the federal government, I think they're sitting there thinking, okay, you know, how do we, how do we settle this? So, you know, it's, there's a lot there to that one. That's a big, that's a whole discussion in itself, <laughs> yeah. I think. But uh, um, yeah. I guess it fits into future planning and where you could be down the road if certain things happen the way you'd like them to happen. Yeah, no, for sure. For sure. There's definitely when we're looking at it is how do you generate wealth off of, uh, you know, the lands and stuff, you know, that's always gets to a touchy subject as well. Right. So, yeah. uh, you know, we look at it and we think if, uh, you know, we do have ATRs or if the community does get larger, how can we, you know, how can we use that in our benefit and not all economic development either. Um, you know, Shawnee is very into uh, conservation, you know, so it's, uh, yeah, something that we would definitely have to look look a little bit more into for sure. One thing I've, I've been uh, interested to learn from our guests the last couple of months is the whole notion of decolonization. And land code is, is one step in the process, I guess. But personally, Adam, what does it mean to decolonize your community or your nation? Well, yeah, that's, you know, that's a... That's a tough one. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's think, kind of another um, loaded question. Yeah, yeah, that's a loaded one. But uh, I think to decolonize a community is really, you know, put 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 everything back to the community, you know, to the grassroots, you know, really start at the grassroots and figure out what is the direction the community wants to go in. Um, you know, ignore all the policies, all the funding, apps, uh, everything that's there. And just really sit down and have that, you know, grassroots discussion and, and just engage the community and the elders, the youth. And see what's best for them and uh, how do we move forward and you know together and you know unity I guess you could say as well right uh, one thing I find is a first nation especially in my position you know we, we apply for a bunch of funding and the funding comes with a list of rules right a work plan and guidelines and structures that you have to do um, those aren't always generated from the community it's just saying here's a bunch of money uh, and this is what you have to do for it um, I think to avoid that and more coming up with your community comprehensive plan in a sense or a strategic plan and figure out what the community really wants and what direction they want to go. And I think the decolonization will come from that, you know, once it comes from the grassroots. Awesome. Good stuff. Anything else you'd like to add as we as we wind it down? Any surprises with the land code experience? Um yeah, I don't know. surprises. You know, one thing we're still learning. We're we're a newer community, I guess you could say, and uh, 
in the land code. Uh, one of the things I, I am still, we're still working on, uh, it's a bit of a struggle, we'll say, is some of the uh, living legacies, we'll say those are, uh, those are things that we're working on and uh, working through. We've got a lot of uh, resources that we're, we're working with. Um, those are some of the ones that we're struggling with a bit. But uh, again, that just goes to show the longer you leave it with uh, somebody else's hands, the bigger problems you're going to get at the end of it, you know, is kind of what I'm seeing. But uh, I guess that's the biggest hurdle we're dealing with right now. And yeah. Good stuff. I'm sure there are other communities out there who'd love to learn about your experience. Uh, do you have any preferred method for people to contact you, whether it's by email or through your band website? I'm pretty flexible. Um, I'm pretty flexible. So email's fine, you know, website, uh, text, call. Yeah, I'm pretty good. I tracked you down on LinkedIn too. I'm not sure if you're all that active there or not, but that is another Yeah, method. no, I am. Yeah. I think that's the only one I would use my real name too, my last name. <laughs> so that's good. <laughs> I hear you. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you very much, Adam. It's been enlightening to uh, get a peek at your organization and your community and uh, all the best. And we're just in advance of National Indigenous Day. So all the best and congratulations. Yeah, no, thank you for that. And it was an honor to be part of this. And uh, yeah, I wish you all the best. That was my conversation with Adam Good, who is band manager of Shawanaga First Nation near Perry Sound, Ontario. Many thanks to Adam for sharing his time with you, our podcast listeners. As I mentioned in the podcast, the Lands Advisors Spring 2021 edition, that's the newsletter, is now available for download or viewing online. This special edition focuses on the history, the benefits, and the challenges of the framework agreement. It's full of information, videos, and links of interest for anyone looking to learn more about this very historic First Nation initiative. You can download the newsletter, or as I said, see it online by going to the website labrc.com. I'm Richard Perry. Thanks for listening. We'll chat next week.